Coffee Time Wednesdays with uh, the Prairie Farm Podcast. Can't hit us with the jingle. Welcome back to the Prairie Farm Podcast, Coffee Time Wednesdays. It is late Wednesday. We are so sorry. We have had a very busy week. Oh, and we are sponsored by Hoxie Native Seeds. I'm here with just Kent today. Peyton is out actually doing real work. And uh, Kent and I went and recorded a podcast, and before that, we've been putting together a pretty large bid for the University of Northern Iowa. It's taken us a couple days to prep that, and we just wanted to make sure we got it done, because even though we love the podcast, customers come first. So. Yeah, it's always busy at Hoxie. It is always busy at Hoxie. My goodness. So busy that we're actually working at Nick's new uh, house flip. That's just not, we're not working here. Well, I guess, yeah. We're, we're working we're, on the podcast. Yeah, we're on the podcast. Not, we're not working on the house. Yeah. We're sitting in my going-to-be bedroom um, with drywall partially done around us. Uh, may, okay, guys, look on Instagram. I'll, I'll send you guys a picture. That way you guys can see it. Um, but, Kent, what do you got for an article today? Uh, good old Fritch sent me a, a uh, article. came through for me this week um, from Successful Farming. And uh, you can find this at agriculture.com. And it was just this uh, interesting article. He was actually uh, putting up some fence with a neighbor, something that hasn't been done, you know, in who knows how long. Crazy. (laughs) But, uh, no, it's actually really cool. If you go back to our original episode, our interview with Fritch, it would have been back in January of 23. Um, We talk in there about how his... um, ancestors had cut fence posts out of hedge trees to put up fencing for livestock he's doing that he's actually uh he's been putting hedge posts in and that's uh, great so he gets it from his uh hedge bushes right (coughs) from his hedge trees osage orange a lot of people know it as sorry for the cough i have some kind of allergen going on in the air right now nick had a a cough or sneezing attack while we were with skip sly today Driving around rough. his farm. But there's something in the air that's getting to Nick and me. Could be all the uh, fiberglass insulation blasting around in the room right now. Yeah, <laughs> might be. Dust. Might be. I feel like you're getting into details. It probably don't matter, though. Yeah. It's like the chemicals <laughs> in the ground. Who cares? I, could, I wonder if I could push an OSHA violation onto Nick right now for making me do this podcast in his house. But I had a friend who couldn't believe that I would sand my mud on my drywalls um, without a mask on. He yeah, was like, that's not a good idea. It's fine. No, 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 no. I will tell you after this podcast why it's not a good idea. All right. Um, but anyways. I'm going to keep doing it. Don't, Nick. I care about your health. Right. Anyways. Um, so, Fritch stringing up a new fence, putting barbed wire onto hedge posts. Yeah, you know, the thing that probably hasn't been done since, like, you know, the 1940s. Uh, so very cool that he's doing that. I think it's just awesome when people return to some of the old ways of doing things. Um, but anyways, uh, he sent me this article that his neighbor was talking to him about while they were working, who's also a farmer. And uh, it was about how there's a retired uh, I- Iowa State University professor who is a climatologist who uh, has been analyzing you know, climate data for decades and has learned to pick out trends and make predictions from those trends, right? That is the most useful 
application of science, right? Where you can, you can learn a trend, you can identify a trend and use that data to make decisions that first save lives, secondly, improve lives, right? Hmm. So if you can learn that, you know, for instance, like our tornado warning system, wow, if we know that these conditions are happening, it's highly likely we could have a tornado. So then you have a tornado watch. Then when you see that there's a tornado, you know, like a funnel cloud somewhere, a tornado on the ground, now time to go to elevate to a tornado warning. And we've learned that, wow, if we do that system, we can get people to safety and they can avoid, you know, you're going to do the same thing for earthquakes, um, you know, evacuations for maybe volcanic activity in some places of the world, even tsunamis, which are one of the hardest things to predict. We have, we can get the data that we need from analyzing the stuff. We can make predictions, save lives. Well, the latest one that we're really working on is a changing climate, right? A warming climate. How do we take this climate data, make projections for the next several decades, right? And even in some cases, really just the next generations. And how can we make the changes now to save lives down the road? Well, this is a little bit, I mean, this is definitely within that, but it's a little bit different. It's more of he's just talking about being able to predict severe droughts, like like uh, dust bowl type droughts, right? And so uh, the article is titled, Dust Bowl Coming in 2025? Question mark. Climatologist Sees Trends with 1930s. It's by Trevor Holbrook of, uh, again, Successful Farming, found at agriculture.com. And um, it is an article that was written um, couple uh, several years ago. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a little dated, but that puts the timeline here on what this professor was predicting uh, closer to where we are now. Because he predicted at that time, in 2020, uh, that in 2025 we could be having a severe drought. And here's the way that he predicted that. He looked at data on uh, growth rings in trees. Nick just had some trees cut down in his uh, hmm. yard that were endangering his, his house. Like literally, if they fell in yeah. the house, Nick would Nick would then have a basement. Look, here's here's the deal with our house. Best case scenario was we finish it, but I built, but I don't have any confidence in my building abilities. So best case scenario is we finish it insurance is like cool and the next day a tree fell on it because of a storm and then insurance pays us for the house that was like that was the best case scenario but we removed the trees so no uh the the so looking at the the growth rings nick and i were just doing this on one of his trees that was cut down looking at the stump uh but uh the looking at so the year wet years a tree is going to be able to lay on more wood right it's going to have what it needs to go through more uh, cellular activity and store more nutrients in the tree and grow out into bigger rings. In drought years, resources are a little bit thinner, not going to be able to do as much growing. Also, they just looked at um, uh, climate data, you know, what was, or, or more so really weather data, short-term weather data. Climate is, of course, long-term. So they're looking at, okay, from year to year, what were the precipitation rates and what he talked about in the article was you can kind of learn trends that droughts that occur in certain parts of the country or the continent even 
within a certain window of time, there will then be a drought here in Iowa. So uh, if the drought starts, you know, we'll say, you know, it's 2023 now. Let's say like uh, Georgia, South Carolina, maybe North Carolina. Let's say those three states were in a bad drought. Based on his data that goes that he's looking at going back to the 30s, you'd be able to say, okay, in two years, Iowa's then gonna it's gonna be their turn for a drought. Does that make sense? Mm. So you're saying based off of the Southwest and California, like some of the worst droughts they've had in a long, long time. Well, as long as that, as long as California and wherever else you said is within that pattern that that yeah. previously held pattern. Where do you know where it is? What the I think it was is? the Southeast, if okay. I remember correctly. So. Uh, the idea there is you can look at conditions now and say, okay, there's a drought in uh, the Southeast. That's not good for two years from now. Cause based on our data, we see there's like a two year lag hmm. for the Midwest behind that. So and, there is a drought right now in Southeast. Um, actually, to be honest with you, I'm not certain if there is or not down there. And um, you're not saying it's for sure a two year. Right, gap. right. This was just a prediction based off of all this data that they had going back to the thirties that our next drought cycle would be scheduled for like like harsh drought would be scheduled for 2025 and so huh. this was in 2020 when the this guy was making that you know saying hey just i'm not like you know, he, you know he's not like you know looking into a crystal ball and saying this he's like hey just based on the data on tree rings based on the, the weather data that's been recorded and based on the trends that we notice and how weather patterns shift across the continent we're looking at 2025 as a potential drought date for the midwest Mm, that's good to know and so yeah it's kind of an interesting thing i thought for how some of that weather data is interpreted that's not the only way there's uh for like way long ago uh weather data a lot of times they're using ice cores drilled out of glaciers oh and uh yeah you know we also can recognize patterns with like el nino and la nina uh, you know, during those weather pattern years, there's all sorts of data, but this was just an interesting article that Fritch sent me on one other way that that climatologists have been able to recognize some some climate trends and make predictions. Man, that's wild. Uh, I feel like when I watch a meteorologist and they're like 30% rain in two weeks, they're like they were drinking the night before, and someone was like, "Hey, do you have any idea if it's gonna?" rain next thursday and they're like eh, probably like a 30 percent chance and uh, okay cool and they just write it down the best is a 50 percent chance dude it's it just might. like it might or it might not you know 50 <laughs> 50 it's like i feel like everything's a 50 percent chance you go outside there either is a dinosaur or there's not a dinosaur outside <laughs> i think that's less than 50 <laughs> percent. nope either there is or there isn't there's gators out there <laughs> Well, if there's a drought coming, hey, shout out to old Paul Adama. You can buy your uh, rain barrels from him if you're in Iowa. He uh, he sells rain barrels. Sure and he actually sells water. them at a real solid, real good price. And he's he gets real high-quality rain barrels. So. And you might be wondering, well, yeah, but then aren't you holding rain out of the water cycle? Uh, yes, but in a good way. Because rain landing on pavement enters enters uh yeah. just stays in the surface water category yeah. we need some of the ground and well collecting and it collecting in a rain barrel to water your garden and so forth that's great three great inches one night is not as good as one inch every three or four days right. for like raising the water tile because you get too much water it just starts rushing <laughs> down right and with all the field tiling that we have now too and everything water that 
water just sheds off of our earth yeah. faster than it needs to. All right. Is that making my turn? Yep. Okay. So I've got one that's uh, about pigs, not about super hogs. <laughs> and I know we talked about the pig thing the other day where the, the, um, the sows were like fit in a six, uh, six foot pen or whatever, where they can't even turn around. So I think it was 12 square feet, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was like six foot long by two feet or something. Yeah. yeah. So there's a reason. We found out there's a reason they do this. I'm not saying it's a good reason, but there's a reason that farmers are doing it. It's not just to torture pigs. What it is is that sows, when if they're given enough room to turn around, they will like roll over on their piglets and kill them. Now, Kent and I were talking about that's a systemic issue because why have they lost all their motherly instincts? I, I actually don't know. I'm not a pig farmer uh dad farmed had pigs for a while when he was a kid he might know better so maybe there is a good reason maybe pigs just naturally don't have that good of motherly instincts but there is something about like you put a bunch of animals in a cage and they probably lose some of their instincts after a while um but so governor reynolds and i think 10 other republican governors um that uh they want they're trying to support a bill that would prevent states from impeding agricultural trade between states, which I think is silly because the Republican Party, which usually goes, which is usually said like, hey, we don't want bigger government, is basically saying, hey, give the power to the federal government. Don't let the states decide what they want. And and I've heard an argument from uh, someone, hey, we don't... Um, why would people in California dictate how we are going to uh, raise the pigs? Um, and uh, I, I get that. I get like when you ask that question, it kind of makes sense. But also the they're they're paying for it. So like you can raise them however you want. They just don't want to buy them. Um, and I think that. So the Supreme Court actually ruled with California um, and it is. In the short term, yeah, that's going to affect some pockets. And I, I genuinely hope it doesn't really ruin any farmer. I don't want that for any farmer. I don't want financial ruin. Um, what I hope it does is kind of tell us like, hey, maybe the consumer wants things a little different way. And uh, we should um, support what they want. And maybe we have to charge them a little more money. I know that there's also an argument that food shortages would be an issue like, oh, we won't be able to raise enough hogs. I think I think most people in America could stand to eat 250 less calories a day. I know I sure can. Uh, in fact, I'm having to run way too much in order to get rid of those extra 250, 500, 750 calories every single day. 40, 50 billion. <laughs> yeah. Starting to sound like a... Uh presidential press conference with these numbers flying around yeah yeah <laughs> yeah just yelling out numbers hoping other people are confused <laughs> so i don't know i um i'm actually kind of in favor of pork pork doesn't need to be the the cheapest thing you find at the grocery store um it uh it doesn't need to be made so efficiently that there's no cost to it uh, and I think that of all things. Now I want, I definitely want everyone to be able to have enough food, uh, but we, most of us don't struggle from enough food. Maybe, maybe we struggle from as much food as we want. There are definitely people that are in poverty, but there are lots of resources, and those resources don't come. 
from having pigs not be able to turn around in a pen or roll around on their babies. But I also um, know a guy from high school. I played soccer with this guy. He was a few years older than me. He went on to start a business. He invented a thing where you, it's like a shock collar or something you put around a pig. And basically when piglets are getting crushed to death, they give a very specific squeal. And when this device hears that squeal, it shocks the mother pig and they get, they stand up right away, which I think would be a really good middle ground. So anyway, that's my, uh, that was my thing was Kim Reynolds and the other governors trying to fight for a thing between states that I think is silly. I think states should be able to say, Hey, we do or do not want this because if it's, if the states can't decide, then the federal government has to decide. And I've lived in the Midwest and Dallas, Texas, and in Northern California in Seattle, Washington. And I've been to the East coast many, many times. Not that they the way they live, in all those different places bad, but it is different. We do not want to be forced to live how they live. We want to be able to make our own decisions. So yeah, we're hitting that. We, we got real psychological. We didn't have Peyton here to keep us lighthearted, man. Ken. Yeah. Psychological. I think you mean philosophical. It's late. Yeah. In the that's day, what though. I meant. Philosophical. It's late in the day, dude. We had yeah. a long day. It was uh, a great, you know, giving you guys another coffee time. We had a great podcast today with Skip Sly. You'll get to hear that Be soon. on the lookout for it because it's really good. Yep. And we still have two episodes coming for the Prehistoric Prairie. I just got to have time to edit them. Come on. But the, they'll be coming here very soon. Not Excellent. to mention the Super Friends episode. Yeah. With all right. the different Prairie people. The Prairie Super Friends. Yep. So that's coming soon. There's so much good stuff coming on this channel. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please. If you have not yet, leave us a five-star review. That helps get the word out, get more prairie on the ground, we hope. And, again, we are presented by Hoxie Native Seeds. If you need CRP seed, woo, we're getting close to the deadline here, but still got time. We I had someone you. call me today. They said, hey, I'm in a bind. Can you get me seed? And I said, absolutely. I got it on the shelf for you. So if you need seed, we got it on the shelf for you. Yep, we got some options, so give us a call. Or if you still want to try and plant some backyard pollinator not or just too late. some prairie grass or something like that, it's definitely not too late for that. So give us a ring. Until next time, though, people.